Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, episode 106, Real World Education with an Inspirational Educator. Today, we meet with Jen Jones. She's an eighth grade STEM teacher, Space Foundation teacher liaison, a solar system ambassador, and a spaceward bound educator. She regularly presents on space topics to civics groups, libraries, and schools around Northern Utah. She's hosted and organized five very well-respected annual space and STEM community outreach nights as well. Ms. Jones believes in teaching from a real-world perspective. One example is a NASA research project called Growing Beyond Earth, which Jones will also present to teacher liaisons at the upcoming Space Symposium. She and her students also work internationally for educational organizations such as African Independence Development, or AID, to help raise money and awareness for a modernized high school where Jen could still help training teachers long after she returns home. These are just a few of the many experiences she provides for her students. That's why Kevin and I see Jen Jones as one who emulates a Blue Sky Learning philosophy. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we do, and we hope that you'll stay tuned after for our takeaways. Welcome, Jen Jones. I am so excited to talk with you today after getting to read up a little bit on you. Um, But for our listeners, introduce yourself and kind of share a little bit about how you came to get involved in space and education. All right. Well, I am Jen Jones, and I am a Space Foundation's teacher liaison, a solar system ambassador, a space station ambassador. Um, I've done a little bit of work with National Geographic. I've done a little bit... um, uh, with the uh, Mars Society and the Mars Desert Research Station. And um, all of this started, oh, about seven years ago or so. Um, I've always, I, I, well, really goes back a long ways before that. When I was a, a kid, we went camping a lot as a family. And I always loved to sit outside in those nice dark skies and watch the stars go overhead. And so that started my love and fascination of space. And then, um, Uh, uh, about seven years ago, I had an opportunity to get some kits for building uh, CubeSats and um, did that with my class. And I was like, man, I love this. I want to do more of this. And so it just kind of snowballed from there. That's pretty cool. Where did you get your CubeSat emulators? Well, it was, they're they're actually just the sensor sensor, um, plate of of the CubeSat is what I got. And there was just a company that was um, they had an outlet here locally, and then there were a few other places that they, uh, I think their headquarters were in uh, Washington State, but um, I just ran into them at a conference that I was at, and they have since been bought out by another company now, so it's it's not the same as it was when I got involved, right. but, but just very interesting, um, lots of little lessons that you can do with them, and and, uh, you know, good hands-on activity for the kids to be able to build a, a little sensor workup for a CubeSat and then do some tests with it, things like that. So it was really fun. You know, I know Kevin's going to be chomping at the bit here because, you know, he, he actually does work with satellites. And I, you actually had an emulator company with uh, a previous person that we podcasted with. You want to maybe... Right. Um, when... I got started with uh, one of my friends up and we were in DC at the time at the National Science Foundation. We wanted to build mm-hmm. a 1U emulator that was 3D printed and would use, uh, we chose Raspberry Pi back in the day. This was about 12 years ago. But the idea was that low cost, you know, could be used in a lot of classrooms to show mm-hmm. you about the subsystems. 
without having to pay, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. So we put them on tethered balloons too. Did you ever put any of your sensor boards on balloons? Uh, we never actually managed to do that, but um, it is something that we've wanted to do some high altitude balloons or something like that. Um, we actually live right, our school is right next to Hill Air Force Base. So we have restricted airspace right over us. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that, uh, that, 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 that means you're in Utah, yeah, right? Of yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, do Northern you, Utah. Do you live in a place and are you able to go out and find fossils pretty easily where you are in Utah? Uh, not far from here, yes, we can find some fossils. So we're right in the uh, valley that used to be Lake Bonneville, um, the, the, the great uh, inland lake that was, uh, you know, uh, back at the end of the glacial period. And so if you go up in the mountains around here, the mountains here were the shores of Lake Bonneville. And so if you go up in there a little ways, you can find fossilized seashells and things like that fairly easily. But um, drive about two and a half hours from here and you can find bones sticking right out of the ground occasionally. And matter of fact, when I was at the Mars Desert Research Station, that's one of the things we did on, on uh, the last day, we came out of our, our Mars simulation, our Mars simulated mission, and uh, we went fossil hunting instead. And so we were able to find some, some fossil bones sticking right out of the ground. We, we found a femur and a shoulder and lots of fossilized seashells, ogrophia. Um, uh, some, we found some, um, oh, what is it, corpolite. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, of dinosaurs around here. And, and it just depends on which direction you head. In about two hours of driving, you're gonna find fossils one way or another, so. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's crazy. So <laughs> One of the things that I really admire uh, about you, especially after reading your bio, is the importance that you place on experiential learning. And, you know, something like Kevin and I talk about the idea of blue sky learning and hence the name of the podcast, understanding that kids learn best by actually doing. And um, can you share a little bit with um, how you kind of started to realize the importance of the experiential, you know, learning as a way of really helping kids engage for that long term commitment of that STEM pipeline? Yeah, and, and that is one of the things that's very important to me is giving those kids an opportunity to do something that is as real as possible. If it can't be real, real, then as close to real as possible. Um, and the reason for that is because these kids, once they have a taste of what is real, then they can see, oh, wait, I can do this. This isn't too hard. This isn't too uh, you know, nerdy for me. I can actually manage this. And then they're more interested in following through and and doing more with it in high school and in college. Um, so one of the programs that I'm working with is Growing Beyond Earth. It is a space station national laboratory project. It is a cooperation between Fairchild Tropical Botanical Gardens in Florida, very close to the Kennedy Space Center, and um, NASA. NASA funds this project. What they do is they provide the classroom with a uh, a plant habitat growth unit that is very similar to the veggie unit that is on board the International Space Station right now. Mm -hmm. And the astronauts are growing vegetables in all the time. Um, you have that in your classroom. And then the students are uh, able to plant some seeds. And these are seeds that uh, are actually uh, cultivars, varieties of plants that NASA is looking at 
growing in the International Space Station in the future. The problem is, is that there are so many cultivars out there that are available that they do not have enough scientists, enough botanists to grow them all to see what is going to be useful and what's not. So, so, so you're, by, you're ground data. You're collecting ground data. Yeah, we're grounded. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. So these students will grow out these plants and then they will, you know, test the conditions that the plants grow best in. They send that data back to Fairchild who sends it on to NASA. And then NASA will actually uh, take the top tier of those plants and test them again at Kennedy. And then uh, those plants that pass the test at Kennedy in a high fidelity simulation chamber will then go on to be grown on the International Space Station and eventually on the moon and on Mars. So it's, I mean, while we're looking at uh, the, the plants that my students are growing today in the classroom, they might be grown on the International Space Station in a couple of years, um, but it's really a much longer pipeline than that because in you know, 10, 12, 15 years, they might be growing on Mars as well. Well, of course. And I think, you know, as I'm thinking about this, did they send you the kit? So like, is it so that everybody's kind of using the same, the, uh, mm -hmm. I guess the medium and the same like container for the, the soil as well? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very, it's a very well controlled experiment. We're actually using protocols that are given to us by NASA. So, and we have to follow those protocols very, very closely. So, it's also a great experience for the kids to learn how to follow uh, experiments protocols, mm -hmm. um, how to collect the data correctly, how to be uh, consistent and concise in in their measurements and in their comments and all of those kinds of things and how to get that data back reported. Now, um, you know, NASA is gonna do their own evaluation of this data to figure out if the plants are suitable for space or not. But I also have my students do an evaluation in class as well to see if we agree with what NASA is gonna what do. NASA said, and oh, just them. Yeah, my, my yeah. Question, uh, logical question is, do you see an impact of this project on say, I, I don't know if you do it, but maybe you do the science fair. Do you see how the kids can take what you're teaching and teaching them through this NASA opportunity and how it might translate into higher quality science fair experiments? Yeah, uh, so we, we don't do a traditional science fair, but um, what we do is we call it Quest Under the Stars. It's a community space outreach night we bring in people from all over the area around here. We usually get the mayor of the city. We usually get a couple of county representatives to come. Uh, there's about five schools that come fairly regularly. Um, I usually try to bring somebody in from NASA. This year we have an astronaut coming, which will be really fun. Um, and we, the kids all do presentations on what they have been learning um, and, and what they have been doing in class is directly correlated to what they're going to be doing their presentations on. We actually work on them through the class and, and um, you know, polish them before the presentation. So every year has a different theme and it has been really fun. I, I actually let the kids come up with the theme because just about anything that they pick, I'm still gonna be able to teach them what I wanna teach them. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Yeah. And you know, I'm an English teacher, but when I started working with Kevin, who was doing, you know, aerospace at the, the middle school where we both uh, started at, I, I didn't realize at the time until, you know, his kids were talking about CubeSats and all this other sciencey stuff that, you know, really within an industry, 
there's a place for everyone. And I love the fact that you're recognizing it doesn't matter what they want to do. You can connect that in some way to space or to science. Mm -hmm. and, and more importantly, I love that you are including the idea of speaking about it as well, because that's one of the things that we, we do, I think the best together is where he's, you know, front loading that content that kids are learning, but then we now we have to talk about it so that we can, you know, be the engineer of the future, so to speak, not, you know, not only talk about it, but we want them to write about it yeah. and get published mm -hmm. and get accepted to conferences so they can present their work. Because we feel like that's preparing the workforce for the future in the best way we can. As you said, real world, make it as real mm -hmm. as possible. So. Yeah. Well, well, and one of the things that has happened with uh, Growing Beyond Earth with that program is once the students have finished their first uh, experiment following those protocols from NASA, then they are able to write their own protocols for a second experiment where they are going to change one additional variable. So then they perform those experiments. And if all goes well with that, then they're able to go to a symposium in April where they present that information to some of the specialists from NASA who are actually working on the veggie project. Um, so that is a great real world tie in for these kids so that they have an opportunity to expand not only what they've learned, um, but to also be innovative and creative and come up with their own experiment to present. When you mentioned the symposium, is that also the one where you're going to be sharing out for the teacher liaisons about that? Is that the space symposium that we're? Uh... Uh, oh, yeah, there's there's two different symposiums. So I will be going to the teacher liaison symposium in April. That's the what the third week of April. Um, and that is um, I will be presenting on the Growing Beyond Earth pro program there to help other teachers to get involved so that they will yeah so that they will be able to bring this kind of a program to their classrooms as Got well it. that's the space symposium that's out that way in colorado right. yeah yeah right. Right. right yeah but this is yeah, one that you the, do in your hometown or in utah well no no it's it's actually a national symposium for growing beyond earth specifically oh, okay. yeah and it's it's virtual um i think that years ago they used to do it in person but then when uh, you know, technologies became such that they could do it virtually. They can open up to a lot more classrooms if they can do it virtually. So uh, that is, I think it's April 29th this year. I would have to look up my calendar and see, but it it is a, a virtual symposium where they are actually able to, to talk to um, and present to people who are working in that industry, which it honestly is something that does not often happen. Typically, students would not get that kind of an opportunity until they were graduate students. Right. So it's great for middle schools to be able to do that. Sure. Uh, let me throw out about three opportunities that you may want to put your kids into. One, um, there's an astrobiology conference that happens every other year. It okay. happened in 2022. It was in Atlanta. We sent a couple of our CubeSat team kids. They just submitted papers, uh, abstracts. Uh -huh. When they were accepted, they went and presented. And it, it was in Atlanta. I don't know where it will be, but it happens every other year. It's an AGU uh -huh. uh, astrobiology conference, number one. Number two, you're probably well aware that different NASA facilities have a different focus. Kennedy Space mm -hmm. Center is all about growing food, as you alluded mm -hmm. to. I, I want to connect you with some of my friends at Florida Atlantic University because they are trying to build a pressurized 3U CubeSat that's going to grow some tomatoes. They're looking at oh. 
uh, and that's the best of both worlds, right? You've got biology mm -hmm. and acute sat, so all of that. And then third, we have our own conference at Kennedy Space Center. I don't know if you get there uh -huh. often, but it would be a fantastic opportunity. Uh, it's about small sats, but it's at the end of October. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to come and maybe bring some students and uh, apply to be a presenter. And it's free, admission is free for students and teachers to our conference. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I would love to come and do something like that. I actually have never been to Kennedy Space Center. Oh, um, my, I think this is a, the yeah. year to change that. Uh, and a great so way, <laughs> you know, a, a great way that we have justified traveling all over the world is when your student's paper is accepted, then you have to go present it. Right. And you're just right. accompanying right. your high achieving students that are, are, are getting bringing honor to your school. Right. <laughs> yeah, I would love uh, if you would send me a, a little bit more information about those. I would love to do those. Yeah, that would be great. Today, today when we close, you know, we know working with kids and sometimes parents and administration, right? If you don't have the support of all of those to be able to take mm -hmm. your classroom outside of the literal classroom and into the community like you're doing can be problematic. Um, have you always had the atmosphere that you're teaching in now where you've been kind of been able to do supported. that? Or, Are you supported? Mm -hmm. Or have you had yeah. issues where you weren't? Well, so 90% uh, of the time I've been well supported. Um, it is, the, so the school I'm at is called Quest Academy Charter School. It's a, a small charter school. In other, other areas, they're called magnet schools sometimes. It is a public school. It's publicly funded, but we don't have a district that we report to. So the school is kind of its own school and school board and district all in one. Um, yeah, so the benefit of that is it's a lot easier to go to the appropriate person to get permission to do something or to get funding for something or whatever. You can go talk to the right person and not have to, you know, play the games moving up the chain to get to that person. So that's, that's a huge benefit of it. Um, the downside of that is it's a much smaller school. And so our resources are more limited. And so it becomes a little bit more difficult in some cases to, uh, get the supplies and things that you need. So one of the things that I've done is approach local businesses. And this is kind of the reason why it ended up having to be a community outreach night instead of just like a traditional science fair is because I, pro I approached local businesses, explained to them what we were trying to accomplish. And then those businesses give us the money, the funding, the supplies, whatever we need to be able to pull this off. And then, of course, they want advertising, right? <laughs> so then you have the signs up advertising for those businesses, and then they send all of their employees and customers and friends and everything to come see it. So then that ends up making it more of a community night. Now, we actually wanted it to be a community night from the beginning. So that was, that was not any kind of a problem. Um, and I'm very lucky that I have a, an administration that is very open to ideas. I come to them quite regularly and say, hey, I would like to do this. And they go, okay, how much is that gonna cost? And where are you going to get the money to do it? And then we'll work that through. And then they say, okay, green light, go, you know? so. So it's been, it's, it's been a really great experience. And another thing, uh, this school is that we actually just got selected as a, a national model school. So uh, it is a, a very, a school that is very interested in 
um, improving and progressing education so that it is more um, effective with students. So uh, just yesterday, I was counting up the number of students in our school that have finished one or more years of math already in the school year. So we've still got two and a half months of school left, but these students have already finished the math level for their grade and are working on a higher grade level. And the school allows them to do that because we don't wanna hold anyone back. We wanna allow our students to move as quickly as they can. And so I was counting that up and a student body of only 300 students, we have over 40 that have already finished their grade level math and are working ahead. And we have three that have finished two years of math this year. So, <laughs> so right. it gives them, and same, same thing actually with ELA, they are, the students are able to finish up through college level reading and comprehension. Um, and, and we have, well, let's see, about 12 that have finished, clear the way up, all the way up through college level reading and comprehension already. And some of those are seventh graders, eighth graders, ninth graders. I don't think we have any sixth graders yet that have managed that. But last year we had one sixth grade. That, right. We have that support. Uh, you can do that. So it, it sounds like you're mm -hmm. an independent public school. And I was mm -hmm. my question I was going to ask, which you have literally just answered, which is, are you creating relationships with the community to help subsidize mm -hmm. what you need to do? And you definitely check that box. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you have all the pieces to start your own company uh, in place. You, you are marketing. And I, I, we totally get the idea that you need to provide a deliverable that is beneficial for the students, but is also going to help ensure the continuance of your program. So that's very, right. strategic. that's very strategic. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to confirm is Hill Air Force Base the one outside of Salt Lake City as you drive toward Logan? Yes, it is. Yes, it's right there between Salt uh, Lake City and Ogden. So I've, I've, you know, I've, we've taken students to Small Sat Education Conference, uh, yeah. Small Sat Conference in Logan, Utah, for years. Right, that's the best opportunity we have for our kids. Have you been to that one? Uh, yes. Have you gone to? I Small actually. No, I actually haven't. I'm right here, and I haven't you been have there to yet. Go. Yes. It is the, it's the world's largest gathering for folks that do small sats, military, academic, NASA, lots of companies, and um, it's a great learning experience. We tend to be the only group there with middle school students, um, mm -hmm. but um, we can fix be, that. I can yeah, agreed. And I think it, you'll make <laughs> contacts beyond just you know satellites, yeah, it, right? It, it, just. It, the sheer networking experience. It would be the ideal time for us to connect. And it's August 5th through 10th this year, just to let you know. Okay. Um, and if you and I, if we end up talking more, perhaps there's huh? a way that our students could meet uh, while we're over there. And that might be a good way to figure out a way to get a win-win where we uh, uh -huh. know, uh, do something there. Um, fantastic. So, um communities uh funding uh we totally we totally can relate to trying to you know make sure internally your organization supports you uh it sounds like you're doing a great job there <laughs> i wanted to maybe go to your project in africa so learning about that so not only are you doing things there in your community but you're helping your students to recognize our world community right so can you talk a little bit about the project that you and your students are helping to do in africa 
Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so we're working with a, a um, charitable organization called African Independence Development. This organization, their focus is trying to build education and particularly STEM education in South Sudan. So South Sudan is a war-torn country. Um, they have had civil war after civil war and military coup after military coup for many, many years. And um, a lot of their schools were actually targets for that violence because they, um, the, the uh, opposing sides decided that if they were able to wipe out the younger population, then the opposite side would not have military members for the future. So they wouldn't be able to, finish, to continue to fight battles. So a lot of the schools were destroyed in the process of this war. So now that they're coming into a period of relative peace in the area, um, they are left without any infrastructure for schooling. So a lot of the schools that students are attending are nothing more than mud huts with a grass roof and a piece of tin stuck over top of that to keep the rain from coming through. And the students are going in there, they have a board that they set on their lap, they sit on the floor and they have old magazines and old newspapers that they are using as their, their uh, textbooks to be able to learn how to read and write. So you can see that it's a pretty desperate situation as far as education goes. Well, this organization is headed by a one of the last boys of the Sudan. If you've ever read the book, I, I just Long thought I'm Walker. teaching it. I was just I was waiting until the end, but I was like, yes, I want you to watch talk to my kids already. Sorry, did I spit on you? I got excited. I was like, <laughs> yes, and I just showed the PBS Lost Boys of Sudan part. You know, like okay. Anyway, oh. yeah. So he's he's one of the last boys of Sudan. Um, he 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 was orphaned during the process. And once he got through Ethiopia and all the way to Kenya, um, he was one of the children that was selected to come to the United States to be foster cared. Tell me his name so again. He, James Awen. A I'm pretty sure he's in the interview by PBS. I'm pretty sure he's one of the guys that they interviewed who came to, he went to Houston and a couple other people went to different places. Okay, sorry. Yeah, he, he may be. He's, I know he's done a lot of work with this, trying to get attention to it. But his, his general philosophy is that the best way to ensure economic stability for a country is by educating its young people. Because an educated young people can then interact with the rest of the world. They can advance businesses. They can provide for their families and they can build communities. And so that's what his hope is, is to be able to help the next generation of South Sudanese children um, to be STEM educated so that they can help their communities to grow. So um, his goal is to build a modern high school in South Sudan and then to bring um, American teachers to come teach the Sudanese teachers how to teach the students. Um, the Sudanese teachers are great, but they've only ever taught English and maybe a little bit of math and a tribal language before. So by bringing American teachers who can kind of give them that um, introduction, that overview of, okay, now this is how you can teach a STEM subject. You know, this is how you can bring science into a lesson. And it's really a great opportunity because they don't have those sort of um, 
stipulations that we're used to of, you know, let's separate English as one class and science as another class and math as another class, and those will never be integrated, you know, we're kind of fighting that battle right here in the United States. But there, that's not an issue because they've never had that kind of an opportunity before. So I'm, I'm really excited and I'm hoping that I will be one of the first few teachers that get to go to teach at this new high school and to teach those, those teachers how to integrate everything yeah. with STEM so that kids can get an amazing education. Right, what, uh, what is the preferred language for the Sudanese schools? Is it English? Yeah. Uh, so they usually, a lot of them speak at least three languages. So they'll speak their tribal language. Like Dinka, um, right? Dinka was the, the big Dinka, one. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Dinka is, so we're looking at uh, uh, Boer, South Sudan, um, is one of the places that they're looking at to build a school. And so that would be a Dinka area. So Dinka would be the primary language. Um, a lot of the students and adults also speak Arabic because they were forced uh, upon them when the whole first war started yeah. happening. Yes. 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 And then, and then the preferred language is they want their students to learn English because if they can learn English, then they can interact with a lot of the world. And a lot of the aid is from English speaking countries. So um, right. that is one of their preferences. Oh my gosh. I am so excited. I, I am so glad that I brought that up because, um, like I said, <laughs> I talked to you offline about this. I know we're already at the end of our, our interview, so I want to be cognizant of our time, but I, I hope to talk to you a little bit more about that later. So do you have any final questions for her before we get to the end? Well, actually, if you don't mind, let me just give you a little more information on that. So my students are actually building a website for this international aid organization. Um, they're creating the website that will help them to collect donations so that they can build that. So um, I'm a computer science teacher by training. That was the, my, my first teaching job. And uh, so I'm training the kids on how to build the websites. And then they're putting that to use to build an actual real website. So that's that's the real world connection they get to do there. Well, maybe I'm thinking so. And when we talk offline about this, too, but maybe we can assist with the at least the donation parts, if nothing else. Once I get, you know, get that my kids amazing. That. I think I think that I our kids would would like to do that. Yeah, I think once the school's established, uh, another low hanging fruit we could maybe consider is how to have like sister schools where classroom mm -hmm. and classroom can interact in a way that if nothing else, it's a great way for kids to practice English, right? And mm -hmm. kids to have cultural exchanges, just, you know, very, we, we've seen that that's a very good thing. Uh, we did that with some yeah. South American schools, especially where the kids taking Spanish here in the U.S., are practicing their skills with their counterparts in other countries. So this is great. Uh, my last question for you that, is, go, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say that is something that the, uh, that, that the aid organization really wants to do and they're actually already planning on doing some sister schools. So I would love to get your schools involved with that. That's great, cool. My last question is, um, uh, what is the most exciting uh, event that you'll have aside from space symposium? What's your big thing you're <laughs> looking forward to in the next count in, in 2023? Well, I would have to say it's our own little community outreach night. We're calling it Quest Under the Stars. The theme that the students have chosen is Destination Mars. Um, they kind of chose that in honor of my, my Mars simulated mission that I was able to do back in December. 
And um, they're, I'm, I'm so excited for what they've got planned. They are going to do a live action role play game. So a LARP, as you come into the conference, you're going to have to play your way through the game in order to go get to meet the astronaut. So you're going to play, you know, what do you have to do to prepare for a mission? What are you gonna to do to prepare for launch? What supplies do you need to have pre-positioned on Mars? What do you need to have with you on the spacecraft? What is, what's the time frame going to be? When are, where are you going to land? Once you land, what are you going to have to do? So they're planning the entire Mars mission in this live action role play game. And of course, because it's all tied to real space, to real things that are eventually going to happen, then they have to learn all of that real stuff to be able to do this. So well, I think it's going to be a blast. That's fantastic. For your for the kids that are really the zealots for going to space, I recommend a book I had to read for this grad school class called uh, The Case for Space by Robert Zubrin. That uh, is actually The Case for Mars. Yeah. Well, he, no, he has two books. There's oh, he has two. Okay. Yeah. The okay. 29th, I think The Case for Mars came out before The Case for Space. Okay. So, but there is a okay. lot of Mars content in there. Just to throw that out, uh, you might check it out first and find that that content lines up nicely with what you guys are already doing. Thank, thank you so much for being with us today. This yeah, was a great I really, really conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That was so exciting for me, obviously. I mean, I know that we're going to clearly embrace her um, her focus on space, but when you're also able to help bring that kind of content to the countries and the students who need it the most, that's inspiring. Yes, I, I really enjoyed her. Um, well, there's a lot of parallels between the things that we have done for years and the things that we learned that she mm -hmm. does as well. The way she embraces or interacts with companies, the way she works in her community. And, and she has her students presenting to them, right? right. I so, love their LARP idea, a live action kind yes, of that's, thing. That's great. Um, yeah, a lot of her program seems right in line with our talkies and techies mm -hmm. and real world making the, I think the most resounding statement she made was, we, if we can't do it in the high fidelity real world, we're going to make it as real as possible right. as we can. That's fantastic. I love, I love when we find other like minded educators, because you were reminded that, you know, that there, it, it just takes one, it just takes one teacher. And then when you have the support of other people, they can just do an incredible uh, job. So well, I hope we work more with her as well. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. And that you'll join us next week when we say, let's, let's go, go to space. space.